What is up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Flippin' Bats. It is Thursday. I got storylines to bring to you, and there are a lot of them, but we are getting closer and closer to All-Star Game, so pretty much every episode from here through the All-Star Game is going to be a little bit of an All-Star focus, so bringing on some of our Fox Sports MLB writers today to ask some of the hard-hitting questions, and of course, trivia and top five All-Star jerseys of all time. This is going to be a fun one. Let's get to it. Let's go. He swings and it's a high fly ball, deep center field. It is gone. Home run and a huge bat flip to celebrate. All right, Ben, start the show already. This is going to be a blast of an episode. We got a lot to talk about. The, the Blue Jays have fired their manager. Charlie Montoyo is gone. They're above 500. They'd be in the playoffs if the season ended right now. The Braves and the Mets was a fantastic series. And uh, I'm also excited. I'm going to bring on Jake and Pedro, two writers here at Fox Sports, to talk about some all-star game headlines, a lot of Dodgers, Braves stuff there. So I'm excited. But I want to start with Charlie Montoyo getting fired. And and this sort of came out of nowhere Wednesday. Nobody really saw this one coming. It kind of caught me by surprise and apparently a lot of people as well. But Montoyo is gone from a team that many picked to win to get to the World Series to to win the American League. And this was a a, a sexy pick if you will to win the World Series this year. And now Montoyo is gone. So before we get into to my thoughts on that, let's just take a look at what he's done since he got there. You know, one, his his record since he got there in 2019, 236 and 236 on the dot. So when all is said and done with Montoyo and Toronto, he is a 500 manager there. So since June 16th, okay, of this year, this Blue Jays team that is extremely talented, has a ton of offensive firepower, was expected to do some damage, and many people were predicting them to at least win the American League East. Since June 16th, that talented Blue Jays team has the second worst record in all of baseball at 9 and 17. Only the Washington Nationals have been worse than the Toronto Blue Jays. In that span, the Blue Jays have had the worst record in baseball at 3-10. and 10. They're the only club with a win percentage below 250. And I think a big part of this, and obviously these road losses tallied up here, but there was a massive series in Seattle over the last weekend. Mariners, Blue Jays. This was a big one. What was going to happen? It was the the team holding down the third place wild card spot and then the Mariners right below them about four games back at the time and they were clashing against each other. The Mariners swept the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays go in to Seattle and just got their doors blown off. It was bad. So they end up getting swept there and then they're in a tie for the final wild card spot. They have the second most blown leads in this stretch with nine. This was bad. It is a bad stretch for the Blue Jays. I thought this Jeff Passan tweet summed it up very well. He said, if the playoffs started today, the Toronto Blue Jays would be in. They're a game and a half out of the top wildcard spot in the American League. That wasn't enough to save Montoyo's job. Bad losses and questions in the clubhouse about leadership were a devastating combination. So, yes, those are the facts over the last, you know, since... In the last month, they've been really bad. 
can't argue with that. They've been blowing games, but still they're in the playoffs if the season ended today. So it's a little bit of a surprise to have Montoyo gone. Here's my thoughts. Montoyo took over in 2019. Okay, 2019, he takes over with a very young team that wasn't expected to win at the time. They went 67 and 95 in his first year there. Montoyo was brought in almost as this guy that is beloved by so many. He was tasked with taking over a very, very young team that wasn't ready to win just yet. And very quickly, this team became a team that was expected to win baseball games. I mean, this team is expected to win right now. So he took over in 2019 when they weren't, and they were awful, 67 and 95 in his first year. But then they quickly became really good. Now here they are on the cusp of hopefully making the playoffs. They're expected to win in the playoffs this year. This team isn't, okay, now if we get to the playoffs, what a step that would be. No, they should have been in the playoffs last year. They just missed out. They're expected to win in the playoffs this year. So now you have Montoyo out because of that, I believe. So, yes, there are questions of leadership in the clubhouse as well. We saw just the other night there was a play on the field. Vladdy Jr. said something or, or said not to challenge a play on the field, but it ends up getting challenged and Montoya was wrong. Vladdy was right. And then I, I've heard there's a lot going on in the clubhouse as well. Um, Bob Nightingale tweeted this. The Toronto Blue Jays had high expectations this year and Montoya pays the price becomes third manager fired this year. That's becoming a theme in Major League Baseball. Team's not performing. You're expected to win. Manager's out the door. Whether it be a, a manner, uh, an ownership issue or not, it always ends up falling back on to the manager. The owner's not going to fire himself. So who's he going to fire? The manager. And everybody loved Charlie Montoyo. Everybody loved him. But at the end of the day, this is a win-now organization, and he wasn't winning now. And, and truly, I don't believe he was expected to be the guy to lead them to their World Series years anyway. He wasn't. He was expected to get them through the rebuild. Now here they are. There was a spot in the season where, hey, we've been the second-worst team in baseball since June 16th. Well, guess what? This is our time to move on. Thank you for everything that you did along the way, building this roster to what it is now. But now we're ready to win. They bring in their new manager who was uh, already a coach on the team that had coached a lot of these young guys coming up through the minor leagues. So they all really know him. They all like him. He's ready. Now Montoya's gone. Let's see what the Blue Jays do from here. The two other managers that were fired this year, Joe Girardi, well, the Phillies took off and have been fantastic ever since. Joe Madden, well, we all know the Angels have gone in the opposite direction. So what are the Blue Jays going to do? Time will tell. All right, so next, Ben, we're going to talk about two teams that have been heating up in the NL East, the Braves and the Mets. The Braves and the Mets faced off against each other this week in what was a very highly anticipated series, at least for everybody else that was watching as well, because not only have these two teams been the best teams in the NL East, they've been two of the best teams in the National League of late. And a couple weeks ago, for the first time, I switched the two of them in my power rankings. I put the Braves ahead of the Mets. So this was a much anticipated series, and it, it lived up to the hype. So look, just a month ago, at, at the beginning of June, the Mets had a 10 and a half game lead over the Atlanta Braves. Double digit lead in a division. 
Just a month and a half later, that lead is down to a game and a half. Now, why is that? Because a lot of people want to point to the Mets and say, well, the Mets are going to met. We all knew it would happen. No, not so fast. The Braves went 30 and nine in that stretch. Since June 1st, the Braves were 30 and nine. The Mets were actually over 500, and it's in a stretch of their schedule at one point, which got ridiculous. They had to travel out and play the Dodgers, and then they played a bunch of other really good teams on that road trip as well. And they were on the road for like 10 games. It was a ridiculous stretch of games, and they went over 500. And in that stretch, since the Braves went 30 and 9, the Mets were over 500 as well. So it was this collapse in the standings, if you will, a matter of the Mets being the Mets. No, it was a matter of the Atlanta Braves being the best team in baseball in that stretch. And they absolutely were. And we were heading towards a collision course of this mid-season, mid-week matchup that a, a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday games, games in, in the schedule meant something, meant a lot. And, and we got a great series. The Mets ended up winning that series two games to three. Max Scherzer on Monday threw fantastic. Peterson threw well on Tuesday. Chris Bassett threw fantastic on Wednesday. I mean, this series lived up to the hype, in my opinion. So let me, let me first state that, yes, I, I did move the Braves ahead of the Mets in my power rankings. Because what just got ridiculous is, one, even after the Monday game, I had Mets fans in my mentions saying, oh, what a clown. Why, how dare you put the Braves over the Mets in the, in the power rankings? And then the next day, it was crickets. And then Wednesday, it was, oh, yeah, I told you so. Let, let me just say here that at no point did I give up on the Mets. In fact, I have believed in the Mets this year more than many and have continually said that the Mets aren't going to met. And in my opinion, this was the first series that really exemplified that. This was the first series that said, okay, we lost nine games in the standings to this team that's been the best in baseball. It would have been so easy for the Mets to go into Atlanta and to get their doors blown off. But they did the opposite. They dominated that series, and they looked fantastic. This was a fantastic series against two fantastic teams. I tweeted this. The NL East is going to be an absolute dogfight the rest of the year. The Braves were the hottest team on the planet coming in. I've been saying all year long the Mets aren't going to met. Well, this series proved just that. This was impressive from them on the road. This would have been the series to do it. The Mets haven't won the division since you know, 2015, when they got to the World Series. 2015 since they won the division. And now here we are. They have a 10 and a half game lead. The Braves knocked that down to a game and a half. This would have been the series. If we were going to see the Mets of old come out and, yep, the Mets are going to met, I told you so, it would have started on Monday in Atlanta, and they would have gotten swept by the Atlanta Braves on the road. They didn't do that. They threw out Max Scherzer on Monday, and he dominated them. He dominated that game. He looked fantastic. The Mets end up winning. They lose on Tuesday, even though their starting pitcher looked fantastic. And then Chris Bassett, and, and they just dominated on Wednesday. The Mets looked really good. Steve Gelbs tweeted this. That's a statement series from the Mets, taking two of three from the scorching hot Braves without McNeil and Marte. It's no joke. 
Notably, the two players paid to be the guys stepped up big. Scherzer set the tone in game one. Lindor led the charge on both sides of the ball in game three. The Mets did this without two all-stars, without their all-star Jeff McNeil, without Starley Marte, and oh yeah, they have a guy named Jacob deGrom who is the best pitcher on the planet that hasn't pitched this year and is on the doorstep of being back. So they didn't do this in a series in which, oh, it lined up well. They had Max Scherzer go, and they had Jacob deGrom go in two of the three games. They had Max Scherzer for one of the games, and then they just dominated that. They dominated two of the three games. And Jacob deGrom isn't back yet, but he's going to be. This Mets team is the real deal. I've been calling it all year long when people didn't want to believe in them. Did I put the Braves ahead of them in the power rankings? Yeah, I put them one spot ahead because they were the best team in baseball since the beginning of June. They absolutely deserve to be ahead of them in the standings. But this series right here proved, hey, we're a different team. It's time to take us serious. The New York Mets this year are doing it differently. We don't just have our star. We don't have Jacob deGrom and then Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso. And if deGrom goes out, guess what? You're screwed. They have Max Scherzer. They have deGrom coming back. They have Lindor, who's been really good. They have Pete Alonso leading baseball in RBIs. They have Mark Canna out in the outfield that's been good. They have Starling Marte that's been great. Jeff McNeil has been great. Everybody is capable of picking up everybody. That's what makes this team so dangerous. They can, they can rake one night and they'll win ball games. They cannot hit another night and they'll win ball games because the Max Scherzer to Edwin Diaz combo is unbeatable. Edwin Diaz has been the most dominant closer in baseball for over a month now. I tweeted that and got a lot of backlash, and I'm not happy this happened, but the responses were, well, the, Clay Holmes exists. Well, one, the stats speak for themselves. Edwin Diaz in the last month has thrown 12 and two-thirds innings and struck out 30 guys. Clay Holmes, and, and, and he had an ERA under one. Clay Holmes had pitched 10 and a third innings and had 11 strikeouts and had an ERA under one. Both fantastic. One clearly more dominant. 30 strikeouts and 12 and two-thirds is ridiculous. But then the night I tweeted that, Clay Holmes went out and didn't record an out and got a loss and just blew up. It, it wasn't a good outing, but... Edwin Diaz has been the best closer in baseball for a month. He is dominant. He is striking out everybody. He has struck out more than half of the batters he's faced this year. It's remarkable. The Mets are so good. They showed it on the road against the Braves this year and proved to everybody else that the Mets aren't going to met. Edwin Diaz this season among relief pitchers. So this just isn't in the last month that I was talking about. This season amongst relief pitchers. First in strikeout percentage. Second in Fangraph's war, first in K per nine, first in FIP and XFIP, first in strikeout to walk ratio, best reliever in baseball. Those are facts. You can't argue with it. Those are facts. And the fact is the Mets are once again proving that they're the team to beat right now in the NL East. The Braves have been the best team in baseball. They have proved, hey, we're back. The Braves are a playoff team. There's no doubt about that. The Braves could win the NL East. But as we sit right here, right now, the Mets are the team to beat in the NL East. No matter how hot the Braves get, no matter how close the gap gets, the NL East runs through the Mets. For a brief two-week period of time, 
The Braves deserve to be ahead of the Mets in the power rankings, but it all led up to this clash in the middle of the week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, between those two teams, and the Mets showed just how good they are. All right, I would like to welcome on now a writer for us here at Fox Sports, does a lot of MLB writing, Jake Mentz. Jake, thanks for hopping on first, and let's let's talk some All-Star game, how, how don't we? Absolutely. My flight leaves tomorrow morning Let's go. at 10.30 a.m. NY to L.A. Am I packed? No. Am I re- mentally ready? Absolutely <laughs> not. But I am prepared to get scorched by the California side. Yes. Perfect. Well, you'll, you'll fit right in. I'm pumped to have you out here. I think you're going to be on set some uh, talking some more baseball, but let's get to talking about the all-star game. First, I want to talk about Dansby and Dansby Swanson. You've talked about him a lot. You've covered him a good bit this year. And, and what, what has it been for him? In my opinion, he should have been the starter for the national league. Trey Turner, obviously a good pick, but I would have gone Dansby Swanson. And he had a start to the year that wasn't fantastic and then since that start he's been the best shortstop in the national league hands down what was it for him was it just getting into the swing of things or did dansby work on some things that made him the best shortstop in baseball lately well it's a super interesting leap right because dansby had kind of been one thing for five seasons right he he was expected to be one of the best shortstops in baseball when he was drafted first overall by the diamondbacks i believe in 2015 mm-hmm. won a national championship with vandy but like never really took things into that next gear this is his first all-star game and when i asked him about some of the, the changes that he made over the offseason. He said a lot of it was mental and some of it was physical. He really focused on building single leg strength and flexibility. He felt like his legs were almost too bulky and not, not enough dexterity in his lower half to reach pitches below the zone. He also has been much better this year at kind of driving the baseball and keeping his bat in the zone longer, which was something that he worked at in the offseason with his swing coach. And then from a mental perspective, he told me a lot about this process he does this type of talk therapy called brain spotting Ooh. that I never heard of. Okay. Where you essentially like put on noise canceling headphones and do complete sensory deprivation. And then someone points to like an object in the room and then you just let out all your trauma in one kind of blast. Um, very interesting to have him talk <laughs> so openly about that. I, it, it, again, it's not the type of thing I'm familiar with, but Dansby Swanson claimed to me that it's definitely helped him be in a better spot mentally. Okay. Year. So, so, before we move on here, let me get this right. He has like noise canceling headphones on. Somebody points yes. at something and I'm a mad. He like screams, just lets out whatever he wants to let out. Basically, that's how it was <laughs> described to me. Okay. It is, again, I am not a, a psychologist. I am not a doctor. <laughs> I am not a therapist, but I did some Googling and it looks like a real thing. Okay. Googling, brain spotting. Wow. Interesting. Okay. But what, whatever, whether it be the mental game or physically, there were a lot of changes involved and that's made him, I think the player that the Braves and Braves fans have expected all along. A hundred percent. And it's super interesting that it's happening right now. I mean, he's a free agent at the end of the season. <laughs> if you would ask me last year, were the Braves going to bring him back? I would have said no way. Right. But now the price has definitely gone up. I would, I would assume he gets over a hundred million dollars at this point, which you wouldn't have thought this time last year, do the Braves want to keep him around? I would say that the Freddie Freeman, uh, we'll call it situation slash <laughs> debacle, no matter what the truth of it is, 
probably helps Swanson because the Braves have suffered from a PR perspective in some ways. The team has kept rolling, right? But they didn't look great. And I would assume that they'll do whatever they need to um, or or, or they'll, they'll do more to keep Swanson than maybe they would have before. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I also think to some degree, like the Braves or the Braves fans claimed, I don't want to say claim, but Freddie Freeman was an Atlanta Brave like that. He was supposed to spend his whole career there. I don't know if it feels the same for Dansby, but I, I get your point. Like they, they can't let another guy slip through the cracks when, a, when an organization loves him after what, whatever the situation, as you called it. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think for Dansby, right, he's he grew up there. He's from there, born and raised a Braves yeah. fan, grew up outside of Atlanta. Like, he definitely identifies as an Atlanta Brave. I think that does mean something yep, to him. He lives there in the offseason, right? I think that we have a fairly cynical perspective of kind of the relationship between team and player because, again, baseball is a business. But I would say that the relationship between Dansby and the Braves is, is a strong one. I think that that franchise does have a real – you know, meaning to him. And I think that the franchise kind of definitely reciprocates that to an extent in return. Good. Well, I, I know whether that means he's going to stay right. Probably not at all. (laughs) I I would assume he'll take whoever gives him the most money as he should. As he should. I believe you're, we're on the same wavelength here. Players should get paid. I would love it to be the team that brought them up and love the fan base loves them. I would hope they are the ones that go out of their way and say, Hey, we want to keep you. We're willing to give you all this money. Enough of the players should take a hometown discount, Uh, 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 pay them their money. But moving on to another guy that was in Atlanta last year, now out in San Francisco, first time all-star Jock Peterson has gone from being memed to being an all-star. Talk about a little bit about how that has happened this year. Dude, it's so weird. It's such a <laughs> funny development because when Jock was coming up, it was like power speed defensive center fielder, right? He stole 30 bases. He went 30-30 in the minors. And now he's in the eighth percentile for sprint speed. <laughs> now, whether that's injuries or like he's in bad shape or he's not trying. I'm not really probably a combo of all three. Right. But he's totally different now. He's just this huge burly slugger swinging as hard as he can. And I think this season he's really leaned into that role with the Giants where that's all he needs to be for them. Right. The Giants are so good at, you know, platooning and mixing and matching and and putting players in a good situation to succeed. And Jock has really thrived there, you know, also in his hometown where he's from growing up in the Bay Area. And I just, I'm fascinated that this is the Jock Peterson that made an all-star game. Yeah, you know, two years ago, he looked cooked. He had like an OPS plus of 85. You know, he was just (laughs) kind of forgettable. He was just going to be a funny character that we never thought about again. And then he had this great postseason and it was like, okay, the Pearls was cool and the ring is great. And he did a lot for that clubhouse. But what type of player is he going forward? He's really one-dimensional. You know, he's an awful outfielder, even despite the success he's had this year. He's abysmal defensively in the outfield, but he can hit. And if you can hit, you'll have the, the checks will clear deep in your 30. <laughs> Absolutely. The the pearls saved his career, I think. That's that's what happened there. Um, so let's stick out there. Uh, let's stick out here, I guess, on the West Coast. Albert Pujols has been named to the all-star team as a legacy pick, him and Miguel Cabrera. Where do you stand on this? How cool is this? Uh, let, let's talk mostly about pool holes here. How cool is it? I, I guess I don't want to answer your question. I think it's cool. Where do you stand on Albert Pujols being an all-star? So I think that folks are um, 
ready and willing at all turns, and me included, to critique MLB for policies and things that they've done wrong. And I think that's good. You need to hold the league to account, right? When there are things that we don't enjoy, rules, whether it's rules or, you know, whatever, like we got to hold feet to the fire. But they got this one right, 100,000%. The All-Star game is not about winning, right? No one really cares. It's literally not about that anymore. It's an exhibition for the fans. And players like Pujols and Cabrera in their final years, probably of being a big leaguer, like they should be able to be celebrated and have their moment in the sun. And especially, you know, Miggy's is a little different because the Tigers won't make the postseason. He'll probably have like a big send off whenever that time comes. Right. But like for pools, you know, you don't, he, his career could end like on a Tuesday night in the NLDS in LA. Right. And yeah. that's just weird. And so to give him this moment in front of all the fans kind of on a national stage, I think will be really, really cool. Um, now, the home run derby, that's goofy. Like he's going to just be <laughs> he's going to be talking gassed. to folks who dude, he's going to be gassed. <laughs> talking to folks who, who've done home run derbies. It's so aerobic. Right. Like it's so much of just being able to do physical activity for that long. Pools can hardly run a first at this point. Like I think he's going to be. I think he's going to get worked over. I agree. Um, I also, I, I just want to add, because I feel like you either like this or, or the other, the argument on the other side is that he's taking up a roster spot. Just want to clarify. Albert Pujols nah. is not taking up a roster spot. This was an extra added thing for the legacy pick from Rob Manfred, Albert Pujols and Miguel Cabrera aren't taking away from other players. Just getting that out there. I hope they let Albert pitch an inning at the end of the game. They should. It's about entertainment, right? <laughs> Um, so back to the Braves for a second, William Contreras and Travis Darno have both made the all-star game. How, how rare is that? Both of these guys are catchers on the team. Talk a little bit about the Atlanta Braves, both of their catchers making the all-star game. How does that even happen? Uh, it happens because there's a DH in the national league now, right? Both of these guys have been able to get at bats in the DH spot when the other one is catching, I'm very interested in it because it's a developmental success for the organization on two very different ends of kind of the career trajectory, right? Mm -hmm. Contreras is a younger player who had some struggles at the big league level the last couple of years with a lot of swing and miss, taking a huge step forward, making a lot more contact. He's been one of the best hitting catchers in, in the whole league. Whereas Darno is a guy who, as he, you know, inches deeper into his thirties has been able to maintain a really high, high level of play. Yeah. For the Braves, and you know, I I, I got to do the research. I can't imagine this has ever happened before because very rarely are two catchers getting enough playing time to warrant getting a bid to the All Star. So I believe it happened in the '60s with a Interesting. team. I, I think I saw that stat today and I wish I had more for you than I believe it happened in the '60s. It did, and it happened a while ago, but it hasn't been done in like 50 years. Dude, the sixties was crazy. The sixties, remember, was going, we going were talking off. like every day back then. We were just talking about how crazy in the sixties things were. Yeah. No, the sixties are wild, dude. <laughs> Two catchers, Woodstock. You never know what's next. Who? So Williams' brother. Wilson will be the starting catcher for the all-star game, which is awesome that two brothers are starting in the all-star team or, or for, in the all-star game. I, I, I love that. They're going to be in the same lineup. I'm going to put you on the spot. Who will Wilson Contreras be catching in the first inning of the all-star game? Okay. So this is the thing. There are, these are two different questions, Ben. There is who will <laughs> and who should be right. <laughs> all right. Hit me with both. If this all-star game was anywhere, but Los Angeles, it would be Sandy Alcantara and it wouldn't be close. 
right? He has been unbelievably dominant this year for the Marlins. Not like a household name yes. or anything. Go look up the numbers. It's jaw-droppingly good stuff. It's been incredible. Okay. Now, with the All-Star game being in L.A., I'm curious if they'll give it to Kershaw or Gonsolin. Um, probably Kershaw over Gonsolin, even though Gonsolin's been great this year. I What I hope is that they do give it to Sandy anyway, and it's kind of like a, we know this is in L.A., but this guy is so freaking good that he's going to override the L.A home bias what do you think they're gonna do i almost think because i i think the difference is going to come down to the manager who selects this and if dave roberts yeah. was the manager i think it's a no-brainer i i think since brian snicker is the manager and he sees sandy alcantara all the time he's going to be under the philosophy of guys i you might not love this if you're a dodgers fan but you need to see this guy he needs to be on this stage starting the all-star game just trust me and then he's going to I go out there starting, throwing 100 mile an hour left handed sliders as a righty, and it's going to be like, oh, okay, I, I get it. <laughs> I think that like starting the All Star game as a pitcher is a very unique honor that we that in some ways is like winning a Cy Young is obviously more important, but being named the starter is almost like the best pitcher on earth in your league title, yeah. right? In a way that the Cy Young isn't always like that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, so to finish up with you here, last thing I want to talk about, you you wrote an article about the All-Star Game and uh, about the Hall of Famers that are going to be in this. So you predicted you had some locks, you had some potential, you had some future guys. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that article. I'm going to let you take it away here, but tell us about yeah. that article and, and what direction you went with it. So I was curious, you know, thinking about how many Hall of Famers average are in any given all-star game, right? So I went back in time, not actually, but on the internet, and <laughs> calculated and measured how many all-stars, uh, sorry, how many Hall of Famers were in every single all-star game from 1963 to, nine, uh, to 2000. Okay. I picked 63 because it was the first year after uh, expansion where there was only one all-star game. There actually used to be two. And so it was kind of the modern roster size of the all-star game. Not to cut you and off, but fun fact. was my last I, one. I just, I just heard this, by the way. I got a little bug in my ear. You, you picked a funny year. It was 63 you started. 62 was the last year that two catchers from the same team were on the same all-star game, by the way. so There we go. 62. And that's because <laughs> they had two all-star games that year, and they needed all these people to catch. Um, yes. And then I picked 2001 as the other end because that was Pujols' first year. And mm -hmm. so it's kind of in my mind like the modern era where okay. we don't really know yet, right? And so on average, there were 18 Hall of Famers in every – like per All-Star game. Wow. Right around 18, which was a little more than I expected, right? Wait, so on average, there's 18 Hall of Famers that were in every All-Star game from in that time frame, from 63 Correct. to 2001? 18 Hall of Famers per game. Wow. I would not... Definitely more than I expected. Yeah. So the highest it ever got was 25, and the lowest it ever got was 12. And I also wow. didn't take a lot of the steroid guys into account, so it's even higher if you include, like, you know, Bonds, McGuire, Sheffield, Clemens, whatever... Sosa, where those guys would be Hall of Famers by talent, but they're not because of the PD stuff, whatever. So I was like, okay, it's 18. That means there's probably 18 guys or around 18 guys on the rosters right now. Okay. 
right? Who are the 18? And so I went and I just looked at who the 18 were and tried to kind of make the dumb prediction of looking into my crystal ball. The obvious, there are five obvious locks in my mind. Okay. And that's Trout, that's Pujols, that's Cabrera, that's Kershaw, and that's your brother. Those yeah. are the five, like, no one's arguing those, yeah. right? agree. And then there's Mookie, Machado, and Harper are essentially locks because of how well they've done up through 29. Like, you yeah. do that good through 29, maybe, you know, the it all falls apart and you get Grady Sizemore and whatever. Yeah. But like most likely you make it yeah. right. So there were kind of those eight names for just shoo-ins. And then from there, it was a lot more difficult to kind of pick the right. rest of my list, but I won't go through the whole list, but for the purposes of you, I did leave Shohei Otani on the outside looking at. Wow. Um, I, he was my last, he was my 19th guy. I picked Aaron judge over him for the last spot. Yeah. What about Julio? Where'd you stand with Julio? So Julio is tough. I had Julio in the mix for that too. I want to see him make adjustments to yeah. the big leagues. I just think that's, right? a, that's an interesting one. I think it is a really, he was definitely, my, my last five were Cole, Judge, Hader, um, Otani, and Julio. Wow. All right. Because like Hader was, is relievers are weird, right, about Hall of Fame stuff. But yeah, and I ended up just going with Judge. I think he's likely to re-sign with the Yankees and, if he does that, he'll be there for, you know, another seven years and he'll probably win a World Series and a couple more MVPs and, you know, get to 450 <laughs> home runs. Well, Jake, thank you so much for hopping on with me, man. Everybody go check out that article. Um, good stuff there. Jake, see you soon, my friend. I'm, I'm going to go I'll start walking now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Enjoy your walk. See you, buddy. All right. It's time now. I always like to do a list a top five list, and we're days away from the All-Star Game. As you guys all know, the list we're going to do today is top five MLB All-Star jerseys. Tomorrow, we're actually going to do bottom five jerseys. But for today, I'm going to head over to the wall behind me, and we're going to do top five MLB All-Star Game jerseys. So let's get to it. Now, these don't go back you know, all time. They didn't always used to wear all-star game jerseys, but that kind of became a thing like in, in the 90s. So we're going to do my top five of all time. And starting with number five, I have the 2009 all-star game jerseys from St. Louis. I really like these. They have the arch. I really like the arch there. They have the stars, the eye, the arch ends there. And it's just the classic Cardinals logo, the yellow bat underneath. This is just a really clean look. I've always liked these. So at number five all time, I have the 2009 All-Star Game jerseys from St. Louis. Moving on to number four, 2016 in San Diego. I really like these. I feel like the yellow and the brown are kind of polarizing and all over the place. You either love them or you hate them. I really like these. This one was a lot of fun. Both the home and away jerseys here were really nice. This was also a good year for the All-Star game. Stan was hitting absolute rockets. 2016, top four. At number three, my number three All-Star Game jerseys of all time, it's this year. The 2022 jerseys are so clean and crisp. They're just great. The dark look, these are the road jerseys, but the dark like charcoal with the gold. The home jerseys are all white with the gold. Just a really good look, and I really like them. And I have this year's jerseys at number three. My number two all-time All-Star jerseys come from 2012 
when the All-Star game was in Kansas City. These were great. This was one of the jerseys, a darker blue. The other one was like a light powder blue that you see the Royals wear. But both of these jerseys were sick. I really liked them. They also just had the crown over the N and the A. They had the All-Star above the I. Both of these jerseys, whether it be the home or away, were very nice. I have them here at number two. But my all-time favorite at number one on my top five All-Star Game jerseys is from 2018. I'm actually rocking the shirt from that All-Star Game as well at the National Stadium. The 2018 All-Star Game jerseys were awesome. You have the, the Capitol building in the background. You have the red, white, and blue. They had tried the All-Star Game jerseys or they had tried the red, white, and blue look in the past at certain stadiums, but they had never quite pulled it off like these. They did these 2018 jerseys perfectly. They were beautiful, and all time, the 2018 jerseys are my favorite All-Star Game jerseys. So on tomorrow's episode, we'll be doing the bottom five, which is going to be a fun list as well. But here's my top five, 2009 in St. Louis, 2016 in San Diego, 2022 here in Los Angeles, 2012 in Kansas City, and 2018 in Washington, D.C. All right, now joining me, Pedro Mora, Fox Sports writer for us as well. Check out all of his stuff. Good stuff lately, man. We're going to get to some of your writing as well, but you covered the Dodgers for years, uh, and, and now you're kind of a little bit of everything, but want to ask you some all-star game questions, a few starting with, with Dodgers, and, and I want to start with Clayton Kershaw. How cool is this, that he is back in the all-star game and this isn't like a uh, this isn't like a Pujols and Miggy thing I mean Clayton Kershaw is there for what he did in the first half and it was spectacular how how pumped is he to be back in this and and have the year that he's having so far yeah I think it's quite a feat and I think he you know from his comments he he seems to understand the uh, the significance of this you know especially already missing time in the first half due to what was described as a fairly significant injury the idea that he would come back at 34 from that and put together enough of a case to, you know, that he's a legitimate all-star and not a, you know, and not a legacy inclusion and a real candidate to, uh, to, to start the physical, the actual game, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's really quite a feat. Obviously this is Clayton Kershaw. This is a man that has been great essentially since he's been in the big leagues. And, you know, I would bet against him ever pitching in the big leagues and not being at least good at it because of his competitiveness and his ability to outthink hitters. But it's still, you know, the degree of success that he's having this year is, 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 you know, unexpected, I think, if you talk to people around the game. Last year, he was still effective, but it was like a 3-5 ERA. This year, you know, it's a run below that. It's a, it's a dominant pitcher. Yeah. One, a teammate of his who I recently had on the show, Tony Gonsolin, who is another option to, to start the game. Honestly, though, it feels like the third possible option, even though he's been like the best pitcher in baseball all year. Like if you go Dodgers, I feel like he's going to go Clayton Kershaw. We'll see though. It's all speculative, but Tony Gonsolin this year has been the best pitcher in baseball. It's, it's been unbelievable. And from, from you watching him from coming up to where he is now, I mean, how special of an ev evolution has this been in his game? Yeah, it's, it's, it's truly a remarkable, you know, I think it's one of the most unlikely um, all-stars it has to be you know this is a player who was undrafted after his junior season was spotted by a Dodger scout at a, at a home run derby in a, in a you know lower tier college summer league was a was not a starting pitcher in college was hardly a pitcher at all you know really just came in to relieve a little bit here and there was an outfielder 
Um, didn't really understand much about pitching when he was drafted or yeah, when the Dodgers finally did successfully draft him the following year, he signed for $2,500. You know, there's guys who signed for you know, <laughs> thousands of times more than that. Um, and so it's, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's the, the way he emerged as this is, is sort of unprecedented. He was a reliever for his first year in the minor leagues and then suddenly started throwing really hard when the Dodgers put him into the driveline program and he, he took, uh, to its teachings, you know, this is a guy who's been really, really coachable. I think one of the most coachable young players in the major leagues from, from what coaches have told me over the years. So it's, it's an impressive feat. Um, you know, I, I don't think it would have happened either without Clayton Kershaw's injury because the Dodgers have believed in Gonsolin for a long time, but they mm-hmm. never let him rip past 80 or so pitches per game. And this year, you know, as soon as Kershaw went on the IL in, uh, in mid-May, Gonsolin started going longer into games and it turned out he could handle it. And, and that's how he's logged so, so much success this season. If I had to put you on the spot, do you think a Dodgers pitcher starts the All-Star game or do you think there's maybe a Marlins pitcher that starts the All-Star game? Um, if I had to guess, I, I would guess that Clayton Kershaw will be the starter. Um, and, okay. I don't think it, and I don't think that anyone should be offended by that, you know? I think Sandy Alcantara has been the most dominant pitcher in the National League this season, I mm-hmm. think, in my opinion, if you include, uh, which you should, the innings total that he's been able to yeah. to, to amass. And so that's no shade to Gonsolin or Kershaw. Uh, you know, it's the, it's the all-star game, though. It's an exhibition, fundamentally, and uh, Kershaw's certainly been good enough, and he's a big enough deal, and it's Los Angeles, and it's the first all-star game here in 40 years. And I, I have absolutely no issue whatsoever with the with the league deciding and the national league deciding to, to, to start Kershaw, which of course they have not officially done, but I would not be surprised if it does happen. Yeah. I, I'm with you. I wouldn't either sticking with the Dodgers for one more Freddie Freeman, Will Smith, not named to the all-star team, at least as of yet, neither, at least as of yet, they're not all-stars. Um, how disappointing, how, how disappointed are people in the clubhouse that neither of these guys have made the all-star team? Are, are people shocked about this? I mean, where do his teammates stand? Where do they stand? I'm not sure the level of disappointment. I think, you know, there's a little bit of surprise within the room that, uh, that Will Smith is, is not there would be my guess is, is what I've heard. Um, disappointment. I'm not sure, you know, you know, there's plenty of other things that they can keep their focus on. And, right. you know, it's also still remains that, uh, the, the possibility that either one of them could could make the all-star game still. Um, so, you know, Smith seems to have a better case than Travis Darno, but uh, I'm not sure why Darno made it over him. It is a, it is a bit strange. Um, Freeman's case is, um, you know, is, is solid, uh, but, but not like screening for it. So it seems it gets tricky when you start looking like in theory, his stats are good, but when you start looking at like, well, who shouldn't be there, it does get tricky. Yeah, it's not, you know, I'm not going to say that it's like an outrageous snub or anything like that. And, yeah. you know, I think generally there's too many, too much is made of those. Uh, Smith seems to have as good of a case as most snubs this year that he should actually be in there. And there's a pretty clear cut case of, you know, mano a mano that he, he might warrant it. But, you know, defense is not exactly quantified and, you know, despite all the metrics. And so perhaps that's the reason Darno, you know, and catcher defense is so yeah. important. So it's, it's, neither of them are crazy. I think both of them could certainly still get it and wouldn't be, you know, neither of them would we be sitting here and asking like, well, why did they make it? Obviously. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So not too far down the road in San Diego, another all-star Joe Musgrove, who has been fantastic for two seasons now, almost um, talk a little bit about Joe Musgrove. I know the Padres are in a six man rotation. Talk a little bit about how 
that six-man rotation that he's a part of has enabled him to become the pitcher that he is today. Yeah, this is um, you know, this is a classic case of a of a late bloomer, yeah. uh, a late bloomer lining up into a you know in, in a in a really fortuitous situation for him. The Padres have so much depth in their rotation uh, that that they've been able to give Musgrove a little bit more rest, and that's enabled him to let loose you know past the hundred pitches repeatedly. And this this man is a large human being. You know, he's he's yeah. a he's really got to be one of the biggest, heaviest starting pitchers in baseball. And you know, this is if you could think that anyone today could handle one hundred and ten pitches an outing, it'd be him, right? This is. <laughs> Uh, he's huge. Uh, and so this is, uh, this has been, you know, he's been emerging into this for quite a while, a pretty high pick out of high school, but raw as a talent traded from Toronto to Houston, uh, broke in as a reliever, had some good playoff success with those, with those Astros teams and then on to Pittsburgh in the cold trade and now on to, to San Diego. And this is a case of a guy making, you know, making incremental steps along the way that, 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 got him to this position and now you're looking at a you know a hundred million dollar plus pitcher uh with pretty, pretty certainty uh in in three or four months time here playoff success in the major leagues but also playoff success in the new york pen league where i faced him in the playoffs and he had oh, yeah. some good success there as well <laughs> um do you see so the second half of the year for this padres team that is talented enough to make the playoffs let's say things get down to you know we're down to the last month they're really neck and neck with things but clearly this six-man rotation has been working for them do you see a world in which they maybe abandon it and go to the traditional five-man rotation and you know put all the pressure back into the starting rotation say hey we need you guys now every fifth day you go out there and do it or are they dedicated to sticking to their six-man rotation no i absolutely see a world in which they you know in which they cut it down to, to five. I think Bob Melvin, their manager, a widely respected man in that room and in many others in baseball has already hinted at that, hinted at that last week when the Padres were in Los Angeles. So I fully expect that to be the case. As you know, Ben, you know, the, the unfortunate likelihood is that one of those six will, you know, come down with some sort of ailment between now and yep. September, right? This is not necessarily the sort of thing where they're going to be forced to, to make a cut or anything like that. And, you know, if somehow all six of those guys are, they're really effective pitchers are still healthy, then, you know, they, maybe they'll turn one of them into a reliever and, um, but, you know, for a little while and have that be a dominant force, maybe even a piggyback thing. You know, it's yeah. teams have been employing piggybacks to pretty good success uh, yeah. this season. I would note that Tony Gonsolin and, and Tyler Anderson, maybe the Dodgers' two best or two of the three best pitchers this season, began this season in an effective <laughs> piggyback so i would you know maybe san diego could use that and if you combined musgrove with somebody else you would you wouldn't even need a reliever for a, true <laughs> for, seriously yeah so as i said off the top you do a lot of writing for us here at fox sports and one of your recent articles was about the first half the top 10 biggest surprises thus far so i want to talk about a few of those with you uh let's let's pick your top three let's start what was your your third were they in order did you go like 10 through one or was it just 10 no i i didn't um you know i didn't rank the level of surprise um it was just sort of more as they came to me i think um (laughs) top the top one there is you know it might be the biggest surprise i think it's it's at least maybe the most significant in terms of main value of the players and team involved it's the it's the cardinals and um nolan arenado and paul goldschmidt both 30-somethings, both having, you know, both superstars, both potential Hall of Famers, both having their best ever seasons in the same season. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, you know, quite a remarkable thing. These, It's not like these guys were awful last year uh, or ever, uh, although Arenado had had, a, you know, a 
pretty mediocre last few years relative to his standards. But, you know, Goldschmidt has been, you know, the second best hitter in baseball probably. And Nolan has been his, his best uh, to date. So it's, it's, it's quite a remarkable thing. And obviously it's revealing some of the issues the Cardinals have with their pitching staff because they're still not in, <laughs> in the division league. <laughs> that was going right? to be my follow-up there. Is there calls for concern that you're saying you have your two best players, two potential Hall of Famers having the two best years of their career, yet they're not on the cusp of the playoffs right now? <laughs> it's remarkable when you look at that, right? The two p- possible to probable future Hall of Famers having the best seasons of their career and they're losing in the division to a team that literally has no one hitting over, I believe, 250 uh, <laughs> in, in the Milwaukee Brewers, right? The Milwaukee Brewers don't have a single uh, well above average hitter in their in their lineup this season. You know, they, you have some guys that you'd hope that for uh, between Willie Adamas, Christian Yelich, obviously, Omar Narvaez, but none of them have really been that good. And yet <laughs> the Brewers are ahead of the Cardinals. Piece <laughs> to the advantage the Brewers have in starting pitching, uh, you know, they, True. they have a, effectively have what the Cardinals have in, the, in their in their middle of their lineup in uh, at the top of their rotation the the Angels want to hear none of this argument about two good players and, and the team not doing great they want none of it um Imagine if the Angels yeah if the Angels had a middle of the a pack rotation if we told you that at the start of the season and Trout and Otani would be doing wonderfully uh and and they'd have another hitter emerge as a potential all-star in Taylor Ward and they'd be 12 games under imagine imagine how surprised you'd be <laughs> Oh God. All right. So let, let me hear another one of your mid season surprises. Obviously we're not going to go through all 10, but I feel like three is a good number. So what's another one from you? I mean, I think, you know, maybe I bring this up for, for you, Ben. Um, you know, it's one of the surprises is Spencer Torkelson and his, um, his lack of success so far. I mean, this is, I, I believe we, we talked about this, uh, just as the season was about to begin, but, uh, that this this guy had hit at every level he'd ever played at, right? And so for him to be you know, one of the least effective hitters in baseball through three months, I, I think constitutes a pretty 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 significant surprise, yeah. right? I don't I don't think this is suddenly making him no longer look like a future star, right? But it's certainly concerning. I mean, this is a five something OPS. This is a high strikeout rate. This is a lack of power, and this is you know, on an everyday basis uh, for for three months. And this is the first time you know since since his stats have been tallied in any online register that he has not dominated. You, you know, Pedro, you said, I, you know, I think I bring this one up for you, Ben, and I thought you were going to go with that your 39-year-old brother is now a nine-time All-Star and coming off of TJ, and he's been so good. And you went straight for the the gut and, oh. and hit me with a Torkelson's not I, doing well. I would say, isn't it a more significant surprise that Spencer Torkelson has been awful yes. than it is that Justin Verlander is once again great? I mean, I, I <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think that's, um, I, I don't think it's, you know, it's not that Justin Berlin has had success, right? He's, we just ran a piece yeah. today on our website that he's a locked hall of famer. So it's yeah. not, I don't think it's as surprising that, that, uh, that he would, yeah. you know, seem great. Good point. All right. Torkelson struggle. Yeah. That's been, you know, it, it's interesting with the rookies this year because a lot of them started off that way. You know, the, we, we were on the show right before the year, we did an AL preview and we talked about Spencer Torkelson. We talked about Bobby Witt. We talked about Julio Rodriguez and, all of them. That's not a stretch to say all of them got off to a slow start. And then we've seen Julio pick it up to a historic level. We've seen Bobby Witt pick it up to a, this is a good baseball player level and, and Torkelson hasn't. So that has certainly been a surprise there. I think, um, what, what's another surprise for you from the first half? I mean, you know, at the risk of, of hounding it, um, I think, you know, we mentioned it briefly, but the angels, just the, 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 how this, 
situation has gone down between, um, you know, Trout being very good. At one point this year, he was on a career pace. He's been slow lately, which I think has certainly contributed to this. Um, but, but Trout being still great, Otani being even better as a pitcher than ever before, still really good as a hitter, and the team not being able to string together uh, enough offense to, you know, the, the degree of failure that that offense has produced this season is, is you know, I, I don't think we can, we would find at any point in history a, a precedent to this, to having two of the best hitters in the sport and such a historically awful offense nonetheless. I think it, it really speaks to the need there to develop, um, you know, competent hitters. You know, they have some competent in-house players. You know, Brandon Marsh in the outfield is, is, a, is a solid player. Looks like a, looks like a big leader, but he's, you know, so much of his value comes from his defense that he's just not an offensive asset. And, you right. know, you can maybe handle one or two of those guys in your lineup. But the way, you know, this team lined up with Matt Duffy as their, uh, as their opening day cleanup hitter. And they just haven't, you know, been able to, you know, line up enough offensive depth to, to surround two of the best players in the sport you know, to even make a contending team. It's, it's, that, I think that's surprising. You know, I didn't, you know, I wasn't quite as high on them as you were, I would say, but I still didn't expect them to be uh, 12 games under at this stage. Yeah. Join the club, Pedro. It's been rough out there watching, watching the angels. Well, thank you for joining me, my friend. Uh, anybody that wants to go check out the other seven top 10 surprise storylines, go check out his article. Wow. What a, what a setup that was. Pedro, thank you so much for joining me, my friend. I will see you in just a couple of days at Dodger stadium. Yeah. Sounds good. Thanks, man. See you soon. All right, buddy. See ya. It is time producer Rhea for some MLB all-star trivia. Is that right? Yes. Today's my favorite part of the show. I get to test your knowledge and see how well you know about baseball. And like you mentioned, it is a special all-star edition of trivia today. Okay, so that's good to know. This is an all-star game version of trivia. Um, all right, let's see what I got. I've been I've been kind of on a roll here with trivia of late. Our last trivia and then the guess that all-star that I did. Oh yeah, you've been doing like pretty good. Roll, let's see so. if you keep your um, your A's up. You've been giving yourself an A for the past few weeks. So let's see if your report right. card is up to par today. Let's do it. All right. So first question: Who is the youngest player to win an MVP award? The youngest player to win an MVP award. Youngest player ever to win an MVP award? Ever. The, ever. The first player to win an MVP. The, the, the youngest. Mike Trout? It is not Mike Trout. I'll give you one more hint. Okay. Well, actually, the control room says no more hints. So. Well, I didn't get a hint. What do you mean, one more? And then they say no more. I didn't get one. <laughs> the answer is Vita Blue. Vita Blue. Vita okay. Blue. Vita Blue. Okay. Wow. I was never going to get that. <laughs> yeah, that one was a little bit back in time. But Vita Blue is one of my favorite um, pitchers to use in MLB The Show, though. So Definitely uh, one of the greats. Lefty through Fuego. A's. Good answer. Good question. Nice. All right. So next question. Which current All-Star attended Old Dominion University? <laughs> Which current All-Star attended Old Dominion University? My alma mater as well as my older brother's alma mater. So my final answer here is Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander is correct. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope I got that one. If you didn't get that one, I was going to be a little bit concerned. Okay. Got it. <laughs> All right, next question. Who has won more All-Star games, the American League or the National League? The American League. 
Oh, you were pretty quick with that one. That's correct. Yeah, they went on. They went on a stretch there in like the early 2000s, um, where they just dominated. I mean, the National League was never winning. And really? Yeah, it was bad. And, and now this year, look. Obviously, it's an exhibition. You never know what's going to happen. But if you look at the starting lineups, the American League starting lineup is the Killing better it. of the two lineups. So for sure. Um, yeah, this I, I knew this one. So. All right, you're on a roll. Let's keep it going. Yep. All right, what city was the first All-Star game held in? The first ever All-Star game. The first ever All-Star game. I'm going to say Cincinnati. Cincinnati is incorrect. The answer is Chicago. Chicago? Yes, Chicago was the first ever location for All-Star. At Comiskey. At Comiskey, yes. Okay. All right, so you knew that much. I did. It's also on the topic bar in the screen in front of me. <laughs> well, that helps you a little <laughs> bit, right? <laughs> All right, last trivia question. Okay. Who is the only player to win back-to-back MVPs? Hint, you called his name earlier. Only player to ever win back-to-back MVPs? Yes. Called out his name earlier? You did. It's not Barry Bonds? Mike Trout? Mike Trout. Yeah, Mike Trout was my answer, but I can't believe Barry Bonds. No, 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 no. <laughs> Don't hit me with that buzzer. My my answer was Mike Trout, but I can't believe that it's not I can't believe it's not Barry Bonds. It's Mike Trout. Yeah, thank you for the Thank you. That is correct. <laughs> yes, I knew the answer. The hint helped me because I absolutely would have said that the answer was was Barry Bonds. But well, I that concludes today's trivia, and I'm anxious to see what you grade yourself for today. Well, thank you for asking. Um, I've now been doing this for a while, where I grade myself, and nobody has given me the acknowledgement of, "Hey Ben, go ahead and grade yourself." But now I'm glad that you have. Um, I feel like I did pretty well today. Um, I really like that I got the one of what current All-Star went to Old Dominion because that's not a very big and well-known school. So the fact that I was able to get that one, I feel like I need to boost myself up a little bit. All right. Hey, hey, hey now. Um, first All-Star <laughs> game being in Chicago. Mm, don't think I would have got. I also just don't dock myself if I don't think I should have gotten it, which is a funny <laughs> part to all of this. Uh, Vita Blue wouldn't have gotten that one. Uh, the Mike Trout one. Threw me off, but I got it. I'm going to give myself a good old B minus today. B minus. I almost B plus. I almost went B plus, and to be totally honest with you, I don't know why I switched last second to B minus. I just I'm not proud of myself. You know, I I, I hold myself to a high standard, and um, I could have done better, but. I hold myself to a high standard with this show. And fun fact, this week we got into a top 10 baseball podcast in all of America, which is pretty cool. Love so um, high standard, though. Things are going higher. We'll continue to shoot up. But thank you all for listening. That obviously helps. And I'm glad you all enjoy this show. Uh, this show means a lot to me. I'm pumped that you guys listen. This has been a blast of an episode. The All-Star Game is right around the corner. So everything that we have coming at you in the next few days through the All-Star Game will have a little bit of an All-Star Game focus. So make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, Flippin' Bats Pod wherever you listen. We're also on all social media at Flippin' Bats, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, 
TikTok, also on YouTube, wherever you want to. If you want to watch, watch it on YouTube, Flippin' Bats Pod as well. This one has been an absolute blast. I will see you all tomorrow for another episode of Flippin' Bats.